Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I recently had the pleasure of seeing a new play, English, at the Atlantic Theater in New York. The play was written by Sanuz Tosi, and it's about four Iranians in an English class. The show is incredibly intelligent and funny and nuanced and devastating in these really subtle ways that creep on you until you are overwhelmed. But really, it is a play about the way language shapes us and reflects who we are and what we sacrifice when we must abandon our mother tongue for one reason or another. If you can see English before it closes in mid-March, I encourage you to do so. It's an absolutely wonderful play. It's necessary and incredibly timely, as some of the best art is. From Luminary, this is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. I am Roxanne Gay, hopefully your favorite bad feminist. On this week's agenda, taxes. It's that time of the year. Like most people, I do complain about my taxes, but I do so while recognizing the importance of them. Each time I get that tax bill, I spend a few minutes wondering why I have the most scrupulously honest accountants in the world, and I jokingly or not so jokingly ask them if they've even bothered to look for any of the loopholes I'm always hearing about in the news. And then, of course, I resume being a mature adult, and I just pay my damn taxes, (laughs) which (laughs) is around 37% of my income. And you know what? That's absolutely what I should be paying, if not more. We are all individuals together, but we are also citizens of a country, and that country needs money to function. Infrastructure matters, and we often take it for granted because it's just there, and it works most of the time. The roads that we drive on, the water we drink, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the schools we send our children to, and so much more are funded in large part by our taxes. Of course, a lot of our taxes, in fact, the majority of our tax dollars go to things that many of us, especially me, have no interest in supporting. The police, incarceration, the military, and politicians who are often independently wealthy and still draw a check on our backs. Everyone is going to have something they don't want their taxes to pay for, so it's probably simpler for everyone to just pay their taxes with the understanding that you really don't get to choose what you pay for, but everything you need will be paid for. But our tax code is encoded with inequity. The ultra-wealthy don't pay their fair share by any stretch of the imagination. School districts are mostly funded locally, so the wealthier the tax base, the more funding the school receives, a system that essentially leaves scraps for impoverished communities. Health insurance is tied to employment, and there is a vigorous political disinterest in moving to a single-payer health care system. All of this has me wondering what an equitable tax system might look like and what it would take to achieve such a thing. 
Over the years, I've seen politicians suggest all kinds of ideas, a flat tax where we all just pay the same percentage, federal sales tax, and on and on. Herman Cain, may he rest in peace, mashed a bunch of these ideas together and promoted for several years his 999 plan, where everyone would pay 9% income tax, 9% federal sales tax, and 9% corporate tax. It's kind of ridiculous, but I do know that something needs to change. Right now, too many people are being left behind by the current system. And so an equitable tax system doesn't have to be complicated, but I don't know that it's going to ever be as simple as a flat tax because 9% to someone making a million dollars a year is not nearly the same as 9% to someone making $27,000 a year. But the most challenging obstacle to a fair tax code is that not everyone believes in civic responsibility. Not everyone understands that most of what we take for granted in our lives is funded by taxes. Sadly, there is no system of laws that can instill decency in people who have accumulated so much wealth that they are inured to the needs of others. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Few people are better acquainted with the inequities of the American tax system than today's guest, Dorothy A. Brown. She's a law professor at Emory, soon moving to Georgetown Law, which congratulations, Dorothy. Thank you. She is also the author of The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. It is a fantastic, rigorously researched book, and it explains a whole lot about the racial wealth gap, like why the median family wealth of Black families, one-eighth of that of white families. Some people might call that, oh, I don't know, structural racism. In any case, Dorothy Brown is my guest this week. Professor Brown, welcome to the Roxanne Gay Agenda. 
Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to have you here. I have a lot of questions. I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions now as we enter tax season. So you grew up in the Bronx. The South Bronx. The South Bronx. In fact, that's where my parents lived when they first came to the U.S. Ah. And I know that you were growing up in the Bronx during the 60s and 70s at a time when the Bronx had pretty much been abandoned by the rest of the country. Yes. What was going to school in the Bronx in the 60s and 70s like? And how did that prepare you for a career in academia? So it's funny, we went to our neighborhood school until racism caused my mother to take my sister and I out lie and say we live with my grandmother in a better Mm. neighborhood and went to a different school system. So we walked, my mother walked my sister and I longer than normal because we went to a different school district. And I was fortunate in the second school district to have wonderful supportive teachers. I wound up getting picked to take the test for Hunter High. I wound up going to Hunter High, which was just the best preparation. So when I went to Hunter, it was all girl. Mm -hmm. And they taught us we could do anything, literally anything. So I went there thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I left there thinking I was going to be a lawyer. And I left there with a fortitude that nothing was going to stop me because they taught us we could do anything, right? So Mm -hmm. I always joke that I worked harder in high school than I did college, because I think I did. Yeah. I did the same. I, I I talk about that a lot because high school was, in fact, harder than college. It really was. And when I went to college, I took a tax accounting course. I majored in accounting because I wanted a profession in case law didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And I knew being an accountant would enable me to make enough money to pay a car note and my rent. But when I took a tax accounting course, I thought, that's it. I want to do tax law. So I went to law school and then my professor got me a job clerking for a tax court judge. I wound up working at the firm, representing investment bankers. I got hired by a client and became an investment banker. And then I went to work at HUD in in D.C. And then because I didn't want to do anything I had ever done, I decided to try law teaching. (laughs) <laughs> wow, that is kind of a winding road into academia. And, and it's, you know, it's, what interests me a lot about your work is that the tax code is not glamorous. It is not interesting. I mean, on the surface. Oh, I can end a conversation when someone asks me what I do. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a tax lawyer. Uh, bye. And they're probably like, they oh, okay, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and so one of the things that was so engaging about your book is that you made tax law seem like fucking interesting. I was just like, a word? Like, huh, I had not thought about all of this. Yes. How have you sustained years and years of interest in tax law? So I think of the Internal Revenue Code, which is the tax statute. I think of it as a puzzle. My job is to get through the puzzle with whatever outcome I want. So when you represent the private sector, your outcome is to get your client to pay lower taxes. Mm -hmm. When I then decided my mission was to write about race and taxes, then it became really exciting because the IRS and the Treasury don't publish statistics by race. So I became a detective and that's kind of fun. You're looking under rocks, you're looking in corners, you're looking everywhere you can 
to find something that would enable me to look at the racial implications of tax policy. And I, I started that in the mid 90s. And I, I, I'm always surprised it's mm-hmm. there too. It's there too. Wherever you look, it's there. So I think because I didn't just look at tax as a puzzle, because I added the racial implication element, it kept it really exciting mm-hmm. in more ways than one. You know, one of the things that I've has always guided my work is to do things that other people haven't been doing. So why wasn't race and tax law already a subject when you really started to do this kind of research? Honestly, I went into tax law because I thought it had nothing to do with race. So let's start with me, okay? Mm -hmm. I grew up in the South Bronx. I dealt with racism. I didn't want to deal with an era of the law that was also dealt with racism. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, tax law. That's it. It's green. That's the only (laughs) thing that matters. It's not about race. It's about the color of money. So I'm at my desk teaching and I'm taking a break because I want one thing I know this particular day, I don't want to read anything about tax. Mm -hmm. I want to read something that has nothing to do with tax. And I found this law review article written by a mentor. And the article was about developing a black legal scholarship. And the author was arguing No matter what area of law you teach, you should look to see if there are racial implications. In effect, he was making the argument that Black law professors owed our people that kind of analysis. So I'm still thinking this don't have anything to do with tax. Mm -hmm. I get to like two pages from the end and he says, well, how do you know there isn't a race and tax question if you don't look? I went, what the what? Race and tax? And I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. So it was this article that piqued my interest and lots of other people read the article, but it didn't pique their interest. Right. Because mm-hmm. people tend to think, you know, you know, there's this myth that the academy is full of woke left folks. Right. Yes. The truth is it's full of left folks who aren't good on race. So Mm -hmm. what those people did (laughs) was think it had to do with class, but nothing Mm -hmm. having to do with race. So I faced a lot of opposition when I started writing about race and tax. But, you know, when you're born and raised in the South Bronx, you have lots of white folks telling you what you can't do. So like next. Right. So I just stuck with it. But it was my determination to follow up on what my mentor had suggested. Go look. And this is what you found. And this is what I found. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, that was truly eye-opening. You know, I read a lot of, especially when I'm doing research, I read a lot on the Kindle so I can highlight. And there were pages that were just pink. (laughs) 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 Just, there's so much there. So let's talk a little bit about some of these racial disparities that you get into over the course of your book. Uh, let's start with net worth. What does that mean for people who aren't financially well-versed? And how does net worth differ for white Americans and Black Americans? So net worth is the difference between the value of the property you own and the amount of the debt you owe. Mm -hmm. So the difference between what you own and what you owe is your net worth, how much you have at your disposal to be able to meet an emergency, to be able to invest, to be able to give money to your children, to your extended family. So what we know is Black 
Americans have lower net worth than white Americans. What black Americans own minus what we owe does not leave us with often a positive, much less very much of a positive. So if black Americans have less net worth, how then does the tax code exacerbate that problem? Because of how the tax code operates. So you started by saying your tax rate was 37 Mm percent, which is what I would your marginal tax rate. And what do I mean Mm -hmm. by that? Her Roxanne's last dollars are taxed at the highest tax rate, which is 37 percent. So you say, I'm like, of course it is, because you're taxed on your labor. The code discriminates against labor and in favor of capital. So if your same dollar amount of income came from the stock market, your tax rate would at most be 23.8%. Mm-hmm. So we have this bias against labor and in favor of capital. And we know that most workers have most of their income from labor. And certainly it's true of Black workers. So one piece of the puzzle is how income from labor is taxed versus income from capital. But it's worse than that. What my book shows is that when white and Black Americans do the exact same thing, get married, buy a home, go to college, have a job, tax law advantages how white Americans do the behavior and disadvantage how Black Americans do the behavior. Mm -hmm. That's like that. That's like really, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The injustice of it. Yes. Staggered me as I was reading your book because I thought. And and one of the people that you interview says this, like, how am I ever going to get ahead? Get ahead. Yes. And that's a family making a great middle class income. Yes. Uh, an up, I mean, in some communities, an upper middle class income in Atlanta, yes. Georgia. Yes. Who, like more like one hundred and nine thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Who cannot really get ahead and who are in many ways being punished for being married as Absolutely. your parents were. Absolutely. And there's this conservative trope that, well, you just marry your way into poverty. It's like not if you're black. You could marry your way into poverty. Yeah. So, yes, it's absolutely, you know, I remember I did because they gave me their tax return. So I showed them how much extra they were paying because Mm -hmm. they were married to each other. And it's like, okay, I just want you to know you're going to get depressed when I show you these numbers. Mm -hmm. And and they were. So it's 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 annoying. And then when you think about how we got here. Most of these provisions were put in the code because some rich white taxpayer didn't want to pay as much in taxes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, you always know that white people can be audacious yes. and, in very self-serving ways, but that the joint tax returns exist because a white couple was like, I'm going to pay less. Yes. <laughs> when they were only like part of the 5% paying at all. Yes. But, but they didn't want to. I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay. Mm-hmm. Like that's no, no, that's a bridge too far. Yes. And like the, the, just the, the magical mathematics that they engaged in. Yes. So for those of you who have not yet read Dorothy's incredible book, um, she talks about how joint tax returns came to be because there was this wealthy white couple and the wife stayed at home and the husband was working outside of the home and they found a way to move some of his income to her and attribute it to her um, because they felt like they were paying too much in taxes. (laughs) And, you know, as a feminist, I'm all for placing a value on women's labor because it's it's extensive and incredibly valuable. Uh, But they did it to cheat the tax code. 
and it worked. And now we have joint returns and 95% of married couples file joint tax returns. So this is something that has changed the course of tax history. And it was all because white people wanted to change. And there's a feminist piece in this story also, because once the Seaborns, Charlotte and Henry Seaborn, once they got their tax break, it was because they lived in a community property state and she legally had a right to half of the income. Well, if you didn't live in a community property state, no tax break for you. So the rich white people in separate property states are paying higher taxes than the rich white people in community property states. And this is going to shock you. They didn't like it. So they had two (laughs) choices. They could convert to community property state in their particular state, which would give the stay-at-home spouse legal rights, or they could lobby Congress for this fiction called the joint return, which gave them the tax outcome, but the stay-at-home spouse had no legal rights to income. So because Congress stepped in with the joint return, it prevented more community property states from being created. So it's even worse. That is... It's almost pathological. You know, there's a contradiction in many ways, because especially conservative politicians always talk about family, the importance of marriage, the importance of home ownership. And when you look at history, uh, the tax code and housing laws and other forms of systemic racism have really tried to prevent Black people from engaging in these kinds of stability while we're being told, get married and buy a house. Yes, How do you, I don't know that there is a way of reconciling it, but how do you reconcile these contradictions and how do we encourage Black people to get married if sometimes it's going to be a penalty rather than a benefit in terms of taxes? Absolutely. And I think part of this trope is really not about Black people Mm. other than fussing at Black people, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a good financial decision for Black couple not to get married, Mm -hmm. right? So the idea that getting married will help you build wealth, there's research that shows when white people get married, they do build wealth, but not when black people get married. So when you think about who this is talking about, it's mainly this is the way white people should do it. And it's used as a hammer to beat up on Black Americans to make the argument that, you know, it's pathological Mm -hmm. as opposed to, no, there are other reasons, rational reasons. It makes sense for people to do that. Homeownership is a classic, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody says, buy a home and that's the way you're going to build wealth. Well, it depends on what neighborhood you buy in. It depends on how many neighbors you have who are Black. Because if you live in, you're the only Black family in an all-white neighborhood your home is going to be a really good financial investment. Now, you don't have other issues. You're going to have your neighbors calling the cops on you. If you have children, you're going to have to fight with the teachers and the principals who are going to want to punish your child for doing the exact same thing that the white kids do but don't get punished for. But it's a good financial investment. If you live Right? I know, right? If you live in an all-Black neighborhood or racially diverse neighborhood, it's not as good a financial investment but your neighbor knows who you are and they're not calling the cops on you. Yeah, so, and you're safe walking into your house. Yes. Homeownership is fraught. It's mm-hmm. always been a racialized asset. And tax subsidies for homeownership are all about valuing homes and benefiting homes in all white or almost all white neighborhoods. 
Absolutely. You know, I think each chapter of your book was chilling in a new and different way. <laughs> <laughs> well, my work here is done. It is. <laughs> and one of the most chilling chapters for me was the chapter about housing, because, yes. you know, the GI Bill provided and created a robust white middle class and all of these black soldiers who hoped to benefit from the GI Bill and home loans and things like that were in many ways denied the very rights that they had fought for and like the incentive that had encouraged them to join the military to go to war. And so That's right. it's nothing new that uh, housing is discriminatory and that, you know, communities have in- enacted laws and have literally built walls around <laughs> yes. white communities to create separations when black families move in. So how does the tax code play out now in terms of home ownership, particularly given that more black that black people are more likely to rent than own a home. Right. So no tax break for rent, but tax breaks for mortgage interest deductions and tax breaks if you sell your home at a gain, but no tax break if you sell your home at a loss. And this is going to surprise you. The Americans most likely to sell their homes at a non-tax deductible loss are black homeowners. Mm -hmm. So the way the tax code is written, it benefits how white Americans experience home ownership, but not how black Americans do. So if you want to, you know, buy a home and you're black, well, what do you do? <laughs> and when I started doing this research, I was in the process of selling a uh. home and I was selling a home on a racially diverse block. And it was very a different experience than when I sold my home. And, and I was the one of two Black families in a 200 house subdivision. Mm -hmm. That was an all white, pretty much experience. I sold the home in just a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. No problem. I thought that's how it worked. (laughs) (laughs) No. Then I went to sell my home that was in a racially diverse neighborhood and I almost couldn't give it away. Meanwhile, I'm doing this research and I'm like, oh my gosh, when I bought a home on this street and I did it on purpose because I wanted to see other black people. I screwed myself mm-hmm. without realizing that I was screwing myself financially. So it it changed my approach to buying homes. And yeah, yeah, yeah that one's depressing. It is. It, you know, <laughs> it, it's um, it, it can be overwhelming to recognize all of the ways in which racism is encoded into the American fabric. Yes. And I know that you are a pioneer in this research and as most people with vision tend to learn, you have received a lot of pushback. What kinds of resistance have you encountered to talking about race and tax? So one of my favorite stories is I'm at a law professor conference and it's a tax section and it's like a room full of tax law professors from all over the country. I get invited to present my marriage work, my marriage research, and I'm on a panel with people at much higher ranked schools. So as I joked, I was running with the big dogs and I was feeling pretty proud of myself. Well, the first question was directed at me and it's, well, it wasn't a question. It was a comment, (laughs) right? And it was, Dorothy, everybody knows your work is irrelevant because Blacks are poor and don't pay a lot in tax. Mm. Okay. So, you know, one of my panelists said, you're wrong, Dorothy, to the extent our tax laws disadvantage people by race, we need to know about it. He told me later he didn't want me to have to be the first one to speak. So I then respond, I go, well, if you're right, 
what we really want is our children to grow up to be poor, mm-hmm. right? So the room bursts out laughing. No, no, no. We want them to have lots of income that's either taxed at the low preferential rate or not taxed at all. You know, Jeff Bezos is paying, you know, a ridiculously single digit percent taxes. Uh, that's the rate you mm-hmm. want to pay. Not taxing poor people is <laughs> like the right thing to do, not a be- benefit. So I got this, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Literally, this, this, I've, I've gotten this. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> of so, course you don't. <laughs> It's only your area of expertise. I know. It's only, I know. I've gotten, I got uh, told that I wasn't a tax person, that I was a racial justice person, (laughs) because apparently those two can't go together. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, most tax law professors, we look at the demographics, they're typically white, they're typically male. And just like I went into tax law thinking it had nothing to do with race, so did they. Mm -hmm. But they are much more dug in than I am, right? So now that the book has had some success, Oh, well, suddenly people are rethinking whether race has anything to do with tax and Dorothy had a vision and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, you know, people are coming out of the woodworks. Oh, yes. Well, as you know, I supported you. Well, no, you didn't. I was there. (laughs) I hope you have a long memory because I tend to have a very long memory for these things. Like, oh, no, no, that's not what you said on May 17th, 1994. (laughs) What you said was... (laughs) They have the receipts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK. You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Do you ever feel hopeless given the nature of your research and what you've learned over the years about systemic racism as part of our tax code? 
Yes, but I'm a pretty relentless person, mm-hmm. right? I stuck with this project over two days. <laughs> so, you know, just getting a no every now and then doesn't stop me. So, you know, my mission is to get the IRS and or Treasury to publish statistics mm-hmm. by race. And that hasn't happened yet. And every time I go on TV and I criticize Treasury, somebody from Treasury calls me up and engages in, what do I call it? Uh, uh, they engage in messaging control, mm-hmm. right? They try to, and I'm like, you know what? The only thing I want to hear from you is when you're going to publish it. Right. You can you can't flatter me. You can't, you know, get me to forget that y'all ain't doing nothing. You can't. So, you know, I feel that I'm, I feel that I can make a difference. I feel I can push this along because I'm not, I'm, like I said, I'm relentless and I'm not letting it go. And every time I get asked the question, I complain. So, I'm cautiously optimistic. And one reason why I am is the GAO is putting together a report on race and tax. So they they're like this. They came out of left field. And because they're out there, they're going to come out with a report in April. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. Right. Tax month. The Treasury in December started making noises. Oh, well, you know, we're going to do something in this area. They had a press release. They've hired a council on racial equity, blah, 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 blah. And I think it's because they didn't want the GAO to beat them. I mean, Mm -hmm. after all, whose expertise is tax? It's treasury. Why is it the GAO can get it together and you can't? So I'm cautiously optimistic that as more and more attention gets drawn to this issue, they're going to be forced to do something about it, and especially given... President Biden signed a racial equity order a year ago, January, Mm -hmm. and it said government agencies are supposed to disaggregate data by race. Mm -hmm. So did he not mean it when he said it? Right. Because y'all are acting like he didn't mean it. Okay, well, which is it? Did he mean it? And y'all are AWOL or did he not mean it? And then we need to call him out on that. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're in the phase of the rubber is about to hit the road. Speaking of the rubber hitting the road, I know that like many Black scholars, you started getting a lot more calls from journalists after George Floyd's death when all of a sudden people cared about race again. Yes. Why do you think that your work finally started to get recognized in that moment? That's, you know, that's a question that I wonder. I have pitched more recent tax stories over the years that were just ignored, ignored, ignored. And I think with the book coming out, it's forced people to have to grapple with the issues in the book. So it's one thing for an academic to write law review articles that nobody reads. Yes. Okay. It's another thing to write a book that people in the public are reading and starting to ask questions about. So post George Floyd, we were in a moment where business and tax reporters were looking about how does race and tax play a role. Mm-hmm. And shortly after the summer of in the middle of the summer 2020, Senator Sherrod Brown, for example, opened a Senate Finance Committee. You know, his remarks in the Senate Finance Committee hearing were, we haven't really talked about race and tax and we need to do that. I fell off my chair. I can only like, imagine like, oh, my I, God, finally, it's my time. It's my time. <laughs> I, am, I am ready. I am ready, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> I am ready for my close up. Exactly. <laughs> So it's it was like this convergence of events. And as people teased me, my book had impeccable timing. 
And to be clear, we did not plan it this way. Mm -hmm. It just happened that way, as sometimes books do. You know, that it does happen. I happened to publish an anthology called um, Not That Bad about sexual violence and rape culture. And Mm -hmm. it came out during the year of Me Too. And people were like, so did you plan this? I'm like, did I plan the amount of suffering that had to go into making this book (laughs) with these 30 contributors? No, no, I did not. And is it good luck? No, but it is just coincidence in a way that was fortuitous for expanding the conversation. Yes, you know, sometimes you just are in the right place at the right time for the wrong reason. Yes, and the book met the moment, right? Absolutely. Beyond race... What else needs to change about the tax code? And given that politicians have floated all kinds of proposals over the years, have any of those proposals resonated with you and made you think this might be the way to go? Okay, so I love Senator Wyden's billionaire tax. Mm -hmm. To say I love it is really an understatement. It doesn't do service to how much, how fond I am of it. Why? Because this, you know, because billionaires, actually a billionaire tax would almost be 100% race conscious tax, right? Mm -hmm. Because most of the billionaires in America are white and they're not paying taxes and they should. We have a progressive tax system, which means as income increases, so should your tax bill. But as we see, the wealthiest among us pay the lowest tax rates. So the billionaire tax plan, which is very popular, and I actually think we have a shot with a different Senate of getting it done, Mm -hmm. that you know, we had this conversation and it went away, but Senator Wyden isn't going away. He's continuing to push it. And I think it's going to come back. So flat tax, no, Bezos should not be paying the same tax rate as his uh, warehouse workers. Although right now he's paying less, but I digress, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So perhaps the same sad. rate would be an improvement, yes. but I digress. So I, I, you know, for a period of time, I thought maybe the flat tax was the way to go. And then I realized it's just wrong. It's it's what you said earlier. It's just wrong for someone who's making a million dollars to pay the same tax rate as someone making 27000 That's just wrong. It doesn't make sense. No. So we need to keep our progressive tax system. We just need fewer loopholes. We need to tax income from labor the same way we tax income from capital. Mm-hmm. Something we had with the Reagan Tax Reform Act of 86. So whenever, you know, someone would say, oh, Dorothy, you're radical. I said, well, it wasn't good enough for Reagan. It should be good enough for us. <laughs> I mean, and he's like the crown prince of conservative yes. finance. And so, yes. like, like, if your dude is okay with this, then why are yes. you not okay with this? Uh, it's just always striking to see how resistant, especially conservative politicians and conservative people are to paying their fair share. Yes. So what's next for you in terms of your research? So I am currently working on a reparations book because race and tax wasn't controversial enough. So let me just I like how you're like, I'm going to put my face in the lion's mouth (laughs) right now. Go on. 
Exactly. So I'm working on a proposal with my agent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, about reparations, because we need reparations. Because what I what I realized by the end of the whiteness of wealth is, yes, we need tax reform, but that's not going to fix it. it. It will make it will tax reform will stop the wealth gap from growing at the exponential rates it is. Mm -hmm. But in order to fix the racial wealth gap, we need reparations, period, full stop. We need to compensate Black Americans for all the harms done, not just at slavery, but post-slavery. Mm -hmm. Jim Crow, 21st century race discrimination. You know, if you wonder if this stuff is real, just read the Tesla complaints about race discrimination. You know, so it's so, so that's the project that I'm working on now. I love hearing that because whenever we have these conversations about reparations, people ground it solely in slavery. And yes. it, that should be the foundation of the conversation. But there has been quite a lot of injustice since then. Yes. And it's ongoing. And how do we repair that? And the reality is you're right. The only way I think Black people are truly going to get a leg up as a whole yes. is through reparations. And nobody wants to have that conversation. So I look forward to that book very much because it's going to, I think, be just as provocative and, uh, and necessary. Uh, Dorothy thank you. A. Brown. I think it will. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy A. Brown, thank you so much for joining me on the Roxanne Gay Agenda. Thanks so much for having me. Dorothy's book is The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. I hope you guys go to your favorite independent bookstore or library and check this amazing book out. You're going to learn a lot. You can keep up with me and the podcast on social media on Twitter at RGAY and Instagram at RoxanneGay74. Our email is RoxanneGayAgenda at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. From Luminary, the Roxanne Gay Agenda is produced by Curtis Fox. Our intern is Yesenia Moreno. Production support is provided by Caitlin Adams and Meg Pillow. I am Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. Thank you for listening. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit tomboyx.com. 